Anybody ready to celebrate up in this place today? Woo! You know, it's crazy. If you were here two years ago, you would have heard that same thing. That's literally the intro we played on our very first service. And we played it because, like, it's a jungle out there. Like, it's crazy. Like, have you been in Omaha a long time? I don't know. It's nuts. But I'm telling you, it's less than a jungle than it used to be because in the last two years, We've had 219 people give their lives to Christ in this church. I mean, come on, somebody. That's awesome. That is exciting. Um, man, we're going to celebrate. Just getting started. But i got to start with a question. Always got to start with a question. Um, how many of you have social media accounts? Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. A few of you have MySpace you check every day. It's cool. Um, so uh, I do, too. I have A lot of people have uh, social media accounts. So I haven't done any research on this, so this is just my opinion, but... The number one thing I think that people probably post about on social media is ourselves, right? We're posting about what's going on in our, our lives or our families or our job or some of you are taking pictures of what you had for breakfast, which I don't understand that, but whatever. God, God loves you too, I think. So, um, but we, 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 ha we, you know, it's, uh, it's all about us when it comes to social media, and that's common. Um, but right behind you or me or us would be, if you have kids, your kids. I'll guarantee you. If you have kids, you're posting a lot about your kids. Now, if you don't have kids, maybe it's a pet. Maybe you're posting about your dog or God help us, your cat, right? You know, showing us your cat playing with a cucumber. Oh, it's so cute. It's not cute. That's demonic, by the way. Don't <laughs> knock that off. So it's wrong. Um, so, but social media, I'll go back to the kids for a second because kids... I mean, and I'm guilty, if we're saying we're guilty of something, I'm guilty of that. Like, I post a lot about my kids and stuff, too, because it's a, it's a big deal. And you ever, go, you ever meet somebody, and they'll pull out their phone, and they want to show you a picture of their kid? And they'll be like, oh, little Susie, you know, had a, had a ballerina competition, and they'll pull up their phone if they can get it to work. And uh, two, three, what is, my, what is my password? Anybody know it? Oh, there it is. So, so, and they'll pull it out, and they'll be like, oh, look at Susie. And they'll show you, and they'll start just kind of thumbing through, like, oh, my gosh, this is torture. But, like, I do it sometimes, too. I'll be like, oh, here's my daughter, Ava. And isn't she so cute? And isn't she so beautiful? And isn't some of you aren't even looking up here, so I need to show, show them. I mean, make them stare at it. Look at her. Look at her. Isn't she so cute? Oh, and then there's Jake. This is my son, Jake. And isn't he the most precious thing? Oh, glasses and the smile. Tommy Hilfiger. Oh, my God. So anyway, a um, little too much coffee this morning. But we get excited about our kids, right? We love our kids. Like, if you mistreat my kids, okay, you and I got a problem. We got a problem, right? Don't mistreat my kids. Like, if you do that, you can invite me to lunch. Like, you can, you can buy me gifts. You can give me tickets to the game. You can write me a check for $10,000. But, but you ain't, that ain't going to be good enough. $100,000, i will give you my kid, but I'm, I'm just kidding. I won't do that. So, uh, but it, we love our kids. Don't you mistreat my kid. Jake, my youngest, he's sixth grade. When he was in fifth grade, I was picking him up from elementary school. I do every day, get that privilege. So I pick Jake up, and every day I pick Jake up, I ask him the same question. Jake, how was school? What do you think he always answers? Good. Yep, it was good. So I got I to gotta press in, parents. Sometimes we got to do that. And I say, Jake, um, what was good about it? And he, and he, normally he'll, it takes him all, but he'll come up with something. So I'll make him come up with something. But today, or this day, he couldn't come up with anything. And I could tell his demeanor was different. Like something was different. And I'm like, hey, dude, what's going on? And he goes, ah, just something that happened at recess. And I said, well, what happened at recess? And I don't remember the exact details. There's something about they play football at recess. And uh, I don't know, a kid was making fun of him. I don't know if he dropped a pass or messed up some play. And this kid was getting on him and making fun of him, made him feel really bad. And my first thought was, where does this kid live? You know what I'm saying? Where's, where's, uh, you know, parents, we get defensive like that. And, and Jake's like, no, Dad, it's cool. My buddy took care of it. And I said, what do you mean your buddy took care of it? He said, when the kid, it, right, right when it was happening, the kid was making fun of Jake, telling him whatever you screwed up. And he said, his, one of his best friends came charge, I mean, charging full bore at the kid. And boom, just laid the kid out. Now, I know the pastor in me shouldn't celebrate that, but that day the pastor wasn't in me. I was like, oh, yeah, boom. You know, I'm like, I like that friend, Jake, you know. It's just we want our kids protected. We love our kids. And I think to myself as I talk about my kids, and maybe you talk, think about your kids, or maybe it's your brother's kids or your nephews or nieces, there's something about the love that we have for the younger generation, for the generation that isn't yet to adulthood. And where do we get that from? Like, where do we get that? How do we love like that? So I would say that God, who created us and, and calls us his child, loves us in a way that we can't even comprehend. As much love as you may have for your kid, 
or even our pets, let's be honest. God, how much, God, how much love does God have for us? But even as I say the word God, I wonder what comes in your head. Today I want to play a game with you. It's a, it's a game called fill in the blank. And it's going to be fun, I promise you. It's a party, I told you. So you're going to actually participate in the very first question. So God is blank. So you, 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 I want you out, like when you hear God or you think about God and you would say, gosh, what's one word that I could use to describe God? And it may not be, it may not be great. Maybe you don't have a good connotation of God. One thing I love about Meadows, we get all kinds here. I love it. There's people, there's people here today that you don't believe in God. I'm so grateful you're here. Maybe you don't believe that Jesus is God's son. Thank you for being here. Keep coming back. Maybe you do believe. I don't know where you're at with that. I'm, I'm, I, I do know that. I do know that you're supposed to be here today. I do know that the God I believe in has something for you, even if you don't believe in him. But help me out. Participate. Just yell out, God is what? What is, what is God? Loving. God is awesome. I heard that. God is good. God is what? Almighty. Very good. God is one more. Perfect. What would you say? Powerful. Yes, he is. Yes. Those are all great answers. All great answers. I want to show you um, a scripture today. And you can go there if you brought a Bible or the mobile app. I love when you bring your Bible. Please bring your Bible. If you need one, we want to give one to you. But if you don't have that, it's cool. We're going to put it up on the screen. But uh, in 1 John, so 1 John is a book towards the back of the Bible in the New Testament. So the, the disciple John, one of Jesus' best friends, he wrote five books in the Bible. Say five. Five. Actually, is that right? Yeah, five. I think I'm right. So I <laughs> may have to Google that later. But uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So he wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. So that's four. And then he wrote the book of Revelation. Maybe you didn't know that. But John wrote the book of Revelation. So this is 1 John. So it's way, this is towards the end of, right before Revelation. You got 1 John, 2 John, 3. In 1 John 4, we're going to look at one of the answers that God is. Here we go. You ready to play? Let's play. Dear friends, this is, chat, this is verse 7. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is what? Love. For God is love. It's crazy. It's actually 1 John 4, 7 and 8. That like brings back memories, just saying that verse to you. I uh, don't remember a lot from youth camp. I absolutely hated it. Couldn't stand it. Like, uh, I've already told you some stories, so I won't go too deep into stories. But youth camp, I almost drowned to death, right? Couldn't swim. Canoe got tipped over. Kid you not. Horribly traumatic. I'm still getting counseling for it, so pray for me. Um, <laughs> I bawled so uncontrollably on day number two that my mom had to drive two hours to come get me. So welcome to the Gannon household. It was messed up. So my mom rescued me from camp. But before my mom rescued me from the Jim River Ranch youth camp, uh, what's so funny? That wasn't that funny. That's, that was it's kind of funny. It's, this is really traumatic for me. That's not funny. So, um, <laughs> so, so before God rescued me from the Jim River Ranch camp, um, we, we learned a song. And it was First John 4, 7, and 8. You know how they put music to this verse. And it just, it, it worked. I mean, if they were trying to get it to stick, it stuck for a, long, a, lot, of, a lot of years. So, and we sang it all the time. And I know how you love when I sing to you. You know you do. So I'll sing it to you. It, it, it won't be, it, I'm, I promise it won't be too long. But it, it was the two verses. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But he who doesn't love doesn't know God. For God is love. God is love. Let us love one another. First John 4, 7, and 8. Huh? Yeah. Foot almost went through the, almost went through the platform. But anyway, so... I just remember that. It's so funny how I know that. But God is love. So what's crazy about 1 John 4, 7, and 8, eight verses after verse 8 and verse 16, John repeats this idea again. God is love. He keeps saying it. So you might be looking at me thinking, well, yeah, God is love. What's the big deal? When John penned those words, it was a huge deal. Like, the, the premise of calling this God love would be, would be very, I mean, it, it, was, it was unheard of. Understand when John penned this letter, probably 85 or 90 AD, what, what the destruction that was happening and the death that was around him was insurmountable. 
The, the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed in 70 AD. That would have brought death, destruction. John would have saw that. Not only that, but at the point when he's writing this letter, Peter is dead. He's been executed. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, dead. He's been executed. Not only those two have been, been killed for their faith, hundreds of other Christians have been killed. In fact, John, they tried to kill him, didn't work, and now he's off in some island writing these letters. If you, if you were to look at his life and what he's looking at, God being love, God would be a lot of things, but you wouldn't call it love. But yet John insisted it was so. Okay, so God is love. You ready for round two? All right, I know you are. So round two, if God is love, who does love love? Who does love love? God loves yeah, God, that's a very good answer. God loves, and a lot of you are going to know this answer, even if you didn't grow up in the church, even if you don't have a, 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 any kind of a theological background, you're probably familiar with John 3.16, another one of the books John wrote. For God so loved the, yeah, the world. Well, who's in the world? Well, that would be everybody. So God loves everybody. Repeat after me. Everybody is somebody. Everybody is somebody. Everybody is somebody that God loves. Everybody is somebody that Jesus died for. Everybody. Let that soak in. Don't just be like, oh yeah, of course, everybody. Everybody. Everybody is somebody. See, I don't know where you're at in your journey like, it, it, this, this, this is why one of our core values at Meadows Church is all are welcome. All means everybody. Now, you won't see our core values up on the wall. You won't see them on a plaque. Um, but I hope you see them lived out. All are welcome here. Everybody. I'm here to tell somebody. You might not even be here. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're listening on iTunes. Maybe you're watching this like six months from now. I am here to tell you something. God loves you. God, there is a place for you here. There is a purpose for your life. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Yeah, somebody's, somebody's getting into it. Either they've had too much ice cream or they really believe it. I don't know. It's cool. So God loves everybody. But to celebrate God's love for you and for me, but then withhold that love from somebody that maybe is sitting down the row from us or, or from people that aren't in here but are out there, well, that doesn't make sense. And that's what this series, The Hope of the World, has been about. Like, there was a hope of the world 2,000 years ago called the church. And the first church would love so supernaturally. Like, like they truly loved that way. You, this, you know what repels people from a church? Is, is when we talk a lot about how God is love and God, God loves everybody, but then the church isn't doing it. And that's, I mean, I'm pretty, I'm so proud of our church. I know we don't get it all right. I know that we're, we're, we're messed up like anybody, but... I think we're doing a pretty good job trying to love people and let them know, even if we don't like them some days, we love them because God loves them. Listen to me. Paul, John, Jesus, they all believe. See, they believe that loving people is loving God. Like, it wasn't separate. Like, it wasn't like, well, I'm going to love God and or love my neighbor. No, no, no. According to them, when you're loving God, you are loving people. It's, it's, it's one and the same. When you are loving people, you are thus loving God. It's, it's, that's the way it is. That's, that's what makes it so beautiful. I love that. I love it. So, my gosh, you guys are getting excited for round three. I know you are. So, if you joined us last week or listened, this will sound a little familiar. But if you didn't, it's cool. I'll fill you in. This is a question I would ask growing up a lot. So I grew up in a, a religious household, and, but for me, it wasn't really about how well I could love others. It was about asking God, is, is this a sin? Like, it, God, if I say that, is that really a sin? Is that getting me out of, do, am I farther away from you and farther away from heaven now? Is that, you know, it wasn't so much about people. It was more about, am I, am I ticking God off, right? So, you know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I want to cuddle up next to sin and get a little bit too close. Can we be honest for a second? Let's get real, okay? Let's take off. Let's just get real. How, how many of you, sin was fun for a season? Like, just raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, if your hand's not up, you're either lying or you weren't doing it right. I'm just going to tell you. What, you were, it's fun for a season, but seasons end. And I tell people all the time, sin, it can be very fascinating. It fascinates, but then it assassinates. It's what it does. It's what it does. And sometimes we want to we cuddle up close to it and think, okay, if I'm really doing this, is that bad? And culture, as culture continually changes and shifts, it, this, this, gets, this, gets even, this gets to be a wider selection. Is gossip that big of a deal? I mean, God, literally the Bible says God hates it. But I don't know. I mean, is it that seriously big deal? I mean, sex before marriage? I mean, seriously. Most people are doing that, God. Is that, you're, are you saying that's, I mean, so, but rather than ask this question and fill in that blank, today the journey that God is taking us on, well, I'll show you. This is your main point. Oh, by the way, the, one of the reasons that, that, like, this kind of question excites me so much, because it leads into a series that we're going to do at the end of October. Are you ready for this? It's called You Ask For It. And you get to ask the questions. And you're going to submit them. In fact, I think the, the, the website might be already live. If you go to our website and click on You Ask For It, you can start asking questions. And we're going to take the top questions that you ask, or that even they ask, or whoever asks, and we're going to talk about them for three weeks. We're gonna, I mean, we're going to get crazy questions. I mean, Meadows, I mean, you're a weird church. You're going to ask weird questions. I get it. I'm ready for it. You know, you're, you're probably going to ask, is, is my Nana up in heaven looking down at me all the time, 24-7? Well, here, here's a question. Do you really want Nana looking at you 24-7? I mean, I don't, I don't know if Nana wants that. So, yeah, I just answered a question. So, <laughs> so that, I can't wait for that series, you guys. That is a great time to invite people that aren't on board with religion or, or God because we're going we're gonna to look at the tough questions, and God's got something to say, and it's beautiful. So, um, is blank a sin? But rather than asking this question, what if we were to ask something different? What if... When posed with a question, like you're, th you're going through your day or your week and you're like, what am I supposed to say or what am I supposed to do? Rather than asking, is it a sin? What if you were to ask, what does love say I should do? What does love say I should do? Boy, if you get nothing else today, soak that in. If you ask yourself that question, when you're about ready to type up that message on Facebook, when you're about ready to send that Instagram picture, when you're about ready to talk back to somebody who's ticked you off, when you're driving in traffic and somebody is, oh my God, driving slow in the left lane, God help them. But when they're doing that, what does love say I should do? That is a game changer. It's, and you might be thinking, wait a minute, pastor, don't you mean what does God's word say I should do? And I would say, no, I really don't mean that. I don't. Like, I love the word of God. Don't get me wrong. It's, that's another one of our core values is God's word. We preach it. We love it. We try our best to live it. But, but, but listen to me. We don't love people, at least I hope, we don't love people because the Bible says to love them. We love people because we have a God in heaven who first loved us. Not actually just declaring his love from heaven, but actually coming down to earth as Jesus Christ and showing us that love. That's why we love others, because we have a king who loves us. Oh, I love that. I love that. We love because God loves us. Thank you, God. There's people outside the church right now. There's people here today that you're, you're maybe critical of what the word of God says, or you're critical of what maybe I believe or somebody else believes. That's cool. What I want for you, I hope you're amazed at the, the way the church loves. I hope you're amazed by it. I hope it blows you away to see how we love our neighbor. That's, that's gold. That is, that is what changes lives. What does love say I should do? Isn't that the key? Isn't that we, why we planted or started Meadows Church two years ago? Because people are desperate and dying, and they need love more than anything else in the world. People are wanting love. It's why, it's why we started this thing. It's why, it's why we play Welcome to the Jungle. Yeah, it's a jungle out there, but God's moving, and God wants to move in even more through us and other churches that want to proclaim Jesus um, God, so we got to celebrate it one more time. I said it earlier, but I can't say it enough. 219 people have given their lives to Christ in Meadows Church. 219. I don't want to just brush by that. 200, and that's, those are the people that filled out the card that we know about. Think of how many more just in their hearts 
didn't fill out a car, but God's working and God's moving. It's many of you. That's incredible. Those numbers, they matter so much to us. Every number has a name. Every name has a story. Every story matters to God. Your story matters to God. You matter to God. He loves you. This is the greatest news in the world. But it doesn't stop there. In two years, 124 people have been baptized at this church. This is incredible. Only God can do that. Many of you, that was you. Showing the old is gone. Showing the new is here. New life. We want to live it. I don't want to just read about it. I don't want to just hear about it. I want to live the life that Jesus purposed and planned. And I believe you do too. I believe you don't want to exist. You, want, you don't want to just get by. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to get my kids. I'm going to get my kids to school. Trudge through the job that I can't stand. Get home. Eat supper. Put the kids to bed. Do homework. And do it all again. Is that what Jesus died for? Is that purpose? No. And if you're in that, thank God you're here. God has something new for you. Say new. New for you. Oh my gosh. So, two years ago, the first life group, which is our small groups, the first one that met was me, Pete, and Kendra. And we were, we have just moved here, and we literally went to a high V, Shadow Lake, opened our Bibles there, and three people in one life group. You know what? My wife wasn't even there, and I'm not even sure where she was. Was Jody? Was she? I don't know. I'll have to check the footage. Was it four? All right. All right, I'll believe you then. I, sometimes I don't get it right. So, all right. So, four of us. Thank you for correcting me. So, four of us. So, four people, one life group. What if I told you today that, that, that Meadow Church, we have 16 different life groups meeting all around the community, in homes, in businesses, in places where people can see us, in homes where we can get intimate and get into God's word with each other. It's amazing. This is what God is doing. You, this is your church. It's your birthday. We're celebrating you. But yet, what if I told you God has so much more in store for you? So much more. You might, you're, if you're new, you're probably thinking, holy crap, you guys, you think of anything and everything you can to celebrate. We do. We do. It don't take much. I, 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 but why do I say that? You've heard me say it before. Why? Because we believe church should look less like a funeral and more like a party. Because when lives are being changed, church, you and I, we've got something to celebrate. You can get loud. You can put your hands together. You can get Jesus praise. It's amazing. What the Lord is doing. Celebrate. Say celebrate. celebrate. You know what? You just, you, just, you just said the name of the church that I got saved in 12 years ago. Celebrate. You know that where they got their name was from a story in the Bible? Um, you might be familiar with it. If, you're, if you are or aren't, you should read it this week. It's in Luke 15. It's called the prodigal son or the lost son. And uh, yeah, that's your homework, man. Take you two and a half minutes to change your life. The reason I tell you that is because it's so many of our stories. It's, so, it's mine. I'll tell you what, 18 years old, I was done with the Catholic Church. I was done with religion. And I didn't hate it. I just thought it's not necessary. It's not for me. It's a waste of time. It's whatever. I've got more important things to do. I got life to live. I've got girls to date. I've got money to make. I've got partying to do. That was my life, and I did what I wanted to do. Prodigal son, same thing. It's nuts. So he has a brother and a dad, and they have a family farm, and it's lucrative. And there's inheritance, and they're doing well. But the youngest son thinks, you know what? Forget this. Basically says to dad, screw you. I'm doing my own thing. I'll take my money now. Which, in that day, you don't get your inheritance until dad dies. So he's basically telling his dad, drop dad. I could care less. Give me my cash. I'll do my thing. And how many of us do that same thing? And we just want what we want. And I'm going to pursue what I want in my plan. What if I told you that God's plan is way better than your plan? It is. My plan was to do, I'm going to make some money. I'm going to go out with women. I'm going to party. It's just going to be, that's my purpose. That's what I want. To enjoy every day to the fullest. Isn't that what Jesus promised me? That's what I thought I would do. Prodigal son thought the same thing. So he takes all the cash. He parties. Bible says that it's nuts. He goes out and he lives a life that... I was living, I'm pretty sure. But you know, it's interesting. When the money's gone, sometimes the followers are gone, aren't they? I don't have any more followers. I don't have any more likes. I don't have any more friends. That was his case. He would party all that inheritance away, doing his own thing, his own way, while dad and brother were at the farm doing their thing. And it's, it, it, he got so bad. 
I can't give you all the details. you got to read about it. But I'll tell you this. It got so bad for the prodigal son. You know where he ended up? In a pig pen. In a pig pen in the mud with the pigs. And the, the Bible, it says that he's feeding the pigs the pig food. And he's thinking to himself, that looks pretty good. That's what he had left. Nothing. Nothing. And he's debating on eating pig food. It's, it's, it, so, so he thinks to himself, maybe, and he's not thinking maybe my dad will take me back. Maybe I can get back into the family good. And, you know, he ain't thinking that. He's thinking maybe those take me back as a hired hand. I mean, if I'm working for this guy and want to eat pig food, at least if I go back home, my dad will, I can feed his pigs and maybe he'll feed me some food from the table rather than the, the mud. That's what he's thinking. But he ain't think, there's no chance they're going to take him back. That doesn't happen. In that culture, you leave your family like that, you diss them like that, you have, you have, I mean, that looks horrible on the dad, that looks horrible on the business, it's horrible. But he says, maybe. And he, and he, and he, and he raises himself up from this, from this pig pen that he's in, and he starts to trudge home. I'm sure thinking, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. My dad will never take me back. I'm worthless. I've made mistakes. I've basically given him the finger. And I'm gonna, somehow going to go back. And what the Bible says is insane. You know what it says? It says the father sees him coming. In fact, it says the father saw him coming from a long way off. That's so weird. You know what that tells me? The father was looking for him. You don't see somebody from a long way off unless you're out looking a long way to see them. The father's looking for the son. He's looking for the son. I mean, we got to continue our game. I almost forgot about it. So, filled with, the Bible says, when the father saw the son walking back from a long way off, well, I know what he was probably filled with. You don't have to, you don't have to really spell it out. I mean, obviously, he's dissed the family. He's dissed his dad. They look horrible to the community. I mean, his, I guess, I'm guessing his father is angry. I'm guessing his father is maybe some full of hate. His father might even want revenge. You do that to me? You do that to the business? You do that to your brother? And you're going to come back here? Contempt. Anger. We should look to the Bible. What does it say? Luke 15, 20. Filled with what? Love and what? Compassion. Love and compassion. That's unheard of. That is unheard of. He's filled with love and compassion. Not anger, not hate. Check this out. If We've talked in the series a lot about the Old Covenant, an agreement between God and the Israelites, and then the New Covenant, which is an agreement between God and everybody through Christ. And so if this, I mean, if you did this like in Israel or in the Old Covenant, and then you, you try to come back to your family, they would, that would get you stoned, okay? And some of you are like, that don't sound that bad, man. No, not that. What's wrong with you? No. But you're going to really enjoy the ice cream. We're glad you're here. So, uh, so... <laughs> No, killed with rocks. It's a horrible deal. That's what that would get you. What did, but what did the father do? Well, what does love say I should do? Love says take him back, swine smell and all. That's what love says. Take him back. It doesn't stop there. If you keep reading Luke 15, 23, we must celebrate. This is the dad talking. Are you insane? What he did to us, we must celebrate. For this son of mine was dead, and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party begins. He throws a party. It's so interesting. So from the father's vantage point, sinners are lost things. You don't get mad at them. You find them. Like, you ever lose your phone? Like, who, you ever lost your cell phone? Raise your hand. Okay, a lot of you are lying right now, because we all do, don't we? Or is it just me? Like, every 15 minutes, I got a problem. So, but when I lose my phone, you know what I don't do? I don't get mad at my phone. It's, like, it's not like, oh my gosh, and then I find my phone. You stupid phone, how could you? I mean, if you're doing that with your phone, you probably need counseling, for one thing. But we don't do that. You don't get mad at lost things. You go looking for them. That's what Jesus does. And, and we think, well, God's so mad at me. God's so appalled with me. God's so disgusted with me. The things I've done, the things I've seen, what I look at, who I go out with, how I talk. Can I tell you something about your father in heaven? He's, he's not. What sin does to him, it doesn't, 
He's not mad at you. He's heartbroken. He's heartbroken. See, sin breaks the father's heart. Do you know why? Because sin breaks his children. That's why. Sin breaks his heart. So God has called you and I, once we know Jesus Christ, we're called to go find lost things. Not to be mad at them, not to judge them, but to truly love them, go looking for them. This is what the father did in the story. It's amazing. And the guy is just, <laughs> the son is so heartbroken. That's what gets me. Have you ever been to a place where you're broken? Some of you, you're actually there right now. It's probably why you're here today. See, I've been to the place of brokenness. I, uh, <laughs> well, I, I, there's a few moments I could share. One that all, always comes to mind when I thought that I, I, would, I would never be out of this dysfunction. I'd never be out of this mess. Like when I was in a drug addiction, I'll never forget, I was in a closet. I was in a walk-in closet in my house, and I'm on my knees. And, and this is brokenness to me. I don't know, your story's going to look different, but you'll get it if you've been broken. You'll, you'll get it. It's, we're telling the same story. I'm on my knees, and I've got drugs in my hand, and then my other hand is just clenched with nothing in it. And I'm literally on my knees, and I'm bawling. I mean, it's, it's so, I, and understand, with my addiction, I know I made a lot of, I made a lot of decisions that, that got me where I was. I don't just say, oh, I'm just, it's just the way it is. I was born that way. No, I'm, I made a lot of stupid decisions. But then it got to a point, you guys, where it, it was like, like this in this closet. I, like, I, I wanted to stop. I was so, like, I literally, I had this thought. I said, I'm going to die like this. Like, and I believed it with all my heart. Like, I would have put in all my chips, everything that I own, and I would have told you, this is how I will die. I, there's no way out. There was none. There was no way out. That dark closet, it was dark, and it was darker in here. And I remember sitting there, and I'm bawling, and I got these drugs in my hand, and I, and I said to God, I said, God, I said, I would give anything. I mean, I'm just bawling. I said, I would give anything not to do this. I mean, I, and I meant it. I would, I'm like begging. And, I, and, and then the thought hit me, but I don't have a choice. I, 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 had, I had dug my grave. I did it. And I thought, but I have no choice. And I couldn't. I mean, by then the choice was gone. That's slavery. You know you're in bondage to slavery when you want to stop something. You're, this might be, when you want to stop something so desperately and you can't, I don't know how else to describe it to anybody besides to tell you I was so hopeless. I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I, I just, I, I just, I, it almost makes me ill telling you that story because it's so real. I was so hopeless. I was so hopeless. I thought there's no chance for me. There's no chance for my family. I'm done. And if there's one word that I would tell you that would describe our church, if there's one word, like we're, we, we talk about purpose a lot, and I'm telling you, you have a purpose. You were created on purpose for a purpose. But you will, you will never even, you have no chance. You have no chance to find your purpose If you don't have hope, a hopeless state of mind is, I think, the worst place you can live in. And I was there that day in my walk-in closet, and, and I, listen to me, there was no way out. But how many of you know that when there's no way out, see, that's when God makes a way in. I don't even get it. I don't even understand it. I, so I tell people, if one word would describe it, it's hope. Hope. It's hope. We exist to lead people to Christ because listen to me, apart from Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you straight up, there is no hope. But in Christ, when you have him living in you, guiding you, loving you, there is hope. Not only that, but there is all things that are possible. It's, it's, it's a game changer. No way I should be preaching to you right now. No way should be leading this charge. No way. I'm telling you, if God can do it in me, he wants to do greater things in you. He does. I, that's what you need to hear this. You need to know there's hope. I don't know where you're at, but you're not so far down that God can't lift you up and raise you up onto solid ground. It's what he's in the business of doing. Wow. Old covenant. Let me tell you something else about the old covenant since I went there earlier. In the old covenant, if you were, cleanliness was a big deal. Cle being clean on the outside. Like if you were a priest or a Levite or somebody in the in the in, uh, in the past or the priesthood, you, they they'd wash their hands constantly. They'd bathe constantly. Your cleanliness was a sign of your godliness. Now I say that, 
And I will tell you, even as I tell you that, I know why God created me to be a, a new covenant guy. Because I ain't no pastor in the old covenant. Dude, I've got problems. If you've ever had lunch with me, I'm sorry in advance, okay? Food just, like, throws itself on me. I don't even understand it. Like, the other day I was staring at this taco, and it just exploded on me. I don't even, I don't, how's that happen? So, it just, but, but I, I'm a messy eater. So, um, I couldn't make it. But, but... <laughs> Jesus, here's what Jesus did. Jesus came to bring something new. Say new. You gotta know there's something new for you today. So Jesus, <laughs> the religious people when Jesus was living, they had a problem with his, with his sanitary expectations or lack thereof. See, Jesus was always touching broken, disgusting people. He was not only just talking to them, but he was touching them. Sinners, sick people. He's touching them. That, the religious people were appalled by that. But here's, you know what's interesting about that whole situation? When Jesus touched the sick person, Jesus didn't get sick. But instead, they got well. Wow. So that's what the love of the Father does. And there's something about the hope of the world, the first church that Jesus orchestrated and ordained and commissioned out. Oh, that first church in Acts, that's what we want to be. That church was dirty. They got down in the mud with people. Man, there was problems. There were serious issues. But they, did, they weren't like up here and they were down there. I mean, that church was down there with them in the mud, helping them, loving them, praying with them, walking with them. That's the church. And it makes sense that the first church was pretty messy and muddy. It does. Their leader, the cornerstone of the church, the head of the church, Jesus, well, he was a little messy too. I mean... The guy died covered in his own blood. That's, I mean, sometimes I don't know if we really comprehend what took place on that Friday. It's, I, mean, I could get pretty graphic with you and tell you. So when Jesus was arrested and then convicted that morning, it, it went down quick. Like they, they convicted him. They beat literally the hell out of him. With, with, I mean, ripped flesh off of his body. That's what they did. So then they, then they made him carry his own cross. You know the story, but, I, but do you, just picture it for a second. So he had, to, she had to, he had to walk up this hill carrying this heavy, heavy cross. So he's carrying it up the hill, dirty, disgusting, dust everywhere. He's sweating. He's bleeding. He's already covered in blood. He's not only covered in blood, he's covered in spit. They're spitting on him. You know, so he's covered in other people's saliva. I mean, think about this. So then, then he gets up there after trudging it. I don't know how long it took to trudge up the hill carrying that cross. I have no idea. I just know it probably wasn't a quick trip. When he gets up there, they, they, they throw him down, strip his clothes off, humiliate him, beat him more, nail his hands and his feet to a tree. I mean, literally through, through him. And then they, they put the cross vertical and put it into the ground. By the time the cross is vertical and into the ground, it's only nine in the morning. Isn't that crazy? So it's early. So he hangs there, guess what? Six hours. Six hours. The Bible says he died at three in the afternoon. Okay, so he's not just covered in blood and spit and sweat. He's covered in urine, probably feces. Let, let me just say this. Our salvation that took place on that hill, the smell alone would have driven us back to the city. It would have. That moment, that moment, we would have been horrified. We would have been. But yet that's the moment God was most glorified. The, the love of the Father I, 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 I talk about Celebrate Church and when I got saved. I, I know I've shared this before, but there was visions, not visions, it was pictures on a screen like this of Jesus crucified. And it probably wasn't even as graphic as it should have been, and it was very graphic. And I remember thinking, man, and I've always believed in that. Man, that guy died. I know he died. I know he's real. I believe he rose from the dead. I've always believed that. But what I could not comprehend is, is like, for me. Like, I get that, I get there's a great plan for your life and your life, and I get that salvation works for you and you, and forgiveness is good for you, but for me, I couldn't, I just couldn't see it in me. I'm like, other people, they probably are going to have an abundant life, ain't no way. Like, the things, the, the people I've heard, oh my gosh, remember that time in the closet? I, just, I did all, I did all, I did it all. And I just couldn't comprehend, I just couldn't understand. And then I, and then I was thinking about it this week as I prepared for the message, and God took me back to the main point. What does love say Jesus should do? There's a point before Jesus would get arrested that he was in the garden praying to God, literally saying, God, if there's any other way, I'm, I'm, I'm listening because this is going to hurt more than we'll ever know. And it's like God said, Jesus, I'm sorry, this is what love does. 
And Jesus is like, I get it. I get it. Let's do this. Because that's what love says he should do. I don't, I don't, I'll never, I'll never understand the grace. I never will. I never get it. I, I received it. I just don't, I just don't comprehend it. I don't comprehend how that guy, that God would hang on a tree like that. Uh, arms outstretched. I, I, I can, I can picture it today like it was just yesterday when I got saved 12 years ago. I can still picture it. What does love say we should do? I'm going to say something. We, we have more opportunity than we've ever had in the world to be the church and love supernaturally. It doesn't even have to, it doesn't even have to look that supernatural. I'm, I'm not kidding you. If we love a fraction of like Jesus loved, people will, people will be attracted to you. They'll want what you have. They'll come. They'll want, they'll want Jesus. It's amazing. There, there's, I mean, the story this week, many of you have heard about the story this week of, and if you haven't, I'll debrief you really quick about the, the woman, the cop, and she shot this guy, and it's a horrible story. I mean, it happened a year ago, and she lives in an apartment parked on the wrong floor and went into the, I mean, went into the a floor, and she went into her apartment, but it wasn't hers. It was hers is underneath the next floor down. She's on the wrong floor. So she goes into what she thought was her apartment. Dude's, dude's sitting there, and she shoots him. Thought he was in her apartment. Now, I, I, listen to me. I know many of you have heard this story, and, but I'm telling you, what I'm saying, take the race out of it. I know he's, he's black, she's white, all that. I get that, but that's not what this is about. This Political stuff aside, please. This is just about, that's what happened. The woman sentenced a year later, that was this week, got sentenced to 10 years, got convicted of murder or, or whatever, maybe it was manslaughter, I don't know what they called it, but it was 10 years in prison. Um, and I'm sure you saw the video, and if you didn't, I'll play it for you in a second, because I, I, the, the action is just, it's, it's, what does love say I should do? The guy on the stand that you're going to hear is the brother of the guy that was shot. And, and she's getting convicted, and it's last whatever, and he can get up and say what he wants about what she did to his brother. So check out the screen and watch this. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not gonna say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't gonna ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's, what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please. Yes.
video obviously goes viral and people are amazed at that kind of love and compassion and it's pretty amazing that that guy would do that. But isn't that what love does? It's, it's, I, I'll be straight with you here. I watched that and I was blown away, but yet I, I wonder if God is saying, why are you so blown away? Isn't that what love should do? The reason that would go viral is because that's not the norm. That's why it would go viral. But isn't that what love does? It's an amazing picture of the love of the Father. And I think of Jesus Christ, arms outstretched on a cross. And, the, and you know what Jesus, this is nuts. What Jesus says, well, let's finish our game. He looks at the crowd. He looks at the people that, that spit him, that beat him to a bloody pulp, that stripped his clothes off, that make fun of him and mock him. He looks at them. And he tells his father, forgive him. Forgive him. He says they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. I love them. Forgive them, Dad. I don't get the love of the Father, but I want to. And I want us as a church too, and I think we're getting it. And I want you to know, I don't know what you've done or where you've been. I'm telling you, you have a father. He forgives you, and he loves you. And he brought you here today because he's not done with you. 2,000 years ago, hope would hang on a tree. Hope would die. Or did it? See, hope did die. But not really. Hope was really coming to life. It was. See, the story that I'm sharing with you, the story about Jesus, it didn't end on that cross covered in what he was covered in. See, the story continues from a cross all the way to an empty tomb. See, the empty tomb is the key. Christianity is based on one thing. The tomb is empty. That means that the dead man that was laying in there is no longer dead. He's alive. See, that is the reason we have hope. The tomb is empty. Jesus Christ, he's conquered sin. That's why there's hope for you. He's conquered death. This isn't our home. He's conquered the grave. We're going to live forever. We get to live forever somewhere. We believe in that. Listen to me. You're waiting for hope in your life. You're waiting for something to happen in your life. Your hope isn't based on something that's going to happen. Your hope today is based on something that's already happened. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. There's hope in this place today. Jesus is here and he loves you. He loves you. Oh my gosh, this is the story of Jesus, but it's the story of you. It's for you. We started with talking about the love that parents or adults can have for kids. The love of the father, the love of the father in the prodigal son story, it transcends everything. This is the gospel message. Jesus Christ loves you. We started this church two years ago and you, my heart, most people, they, they never sell out to the love of the Father. Like the prodigal son, they keep chasing purpose their way. They keep chasing their path and their dreams and God's like, stop! Stop! My plans are so much better than yours, please! Please make sure that my son didn't sacrifice and then you still, you still don't know him. Jesus Christ is God and a man. He lived and died. That's what love does. God sent Jesus to, to, to pay our price. We mess up. Can we admit that? I mess up all the time. And God knows it. And God said, Monty, church, you can't figure it out. You can't do it. I know somebody who can. Jesus, go do it. And he did it. So Jesus dies that horrific death and then rises from the dead. The greatest miracle in the world, by the way. Jesus Christ is alive. And I'm telling you, we exist to lead you to him. That is, why, that is my purpose, is for you to live your purpose. 
My dream is for you to live your dream. That's my dream. But I know that your dream can exist or will never turn into fruition if Christ isn't the center of your life. I know that. Because I tried it without him. Well, remember those results? Jesus has something better. Jesus has something better. Jesus has something better. Today, I don't know what your next step is, but I know you have a next step. For some of you, you're going to truly surrender your life to Christ. You know that ways you're living or ways you're walking or talking or what you're looking at, it, it doesn't honor God. Today, God says, come home. Come home. Like the prodigal, the father stands and he looks and he waits and he's begging, will my son or daughter come home? Today is the day. Some of you are desperate for prayer. Don't you dare leave here until we get to pray with you or for you. We love you and you have a God who loves you more. What is your next step? What does love say you should do? That's what I'm asking. And, and don't be like me. Don't be like, I'm not valuable enough. I'm not worth it. I've done too many things wrong. Listen to me. Your value isn't determined by the mess that you made. Your value is determined by the price that Jesus paid. You want to know what you're worth? You're worth the blood of Jesus. That's what you're worth. The blood of the King for you. And you, and you, and you, and you, and you. That's what you're worth. Oh my gosh, God. I'm going to pray for you in our church. I love you so much. And you, I'll say it again, God loves you more. You have a purpose. You have hope. You have a future. If Jesus is the center of it, he'll do things in you you can't dream or imagine. I promise. Father, we celebrate you today. It's your church, the church, the bride of Jesus Christ. That's what your word says. We celebrate it. We thank you for all the lives that have been transformed and changed through your church. I thank you for all the lives that are being transformed and all the lives that will be. What does love say we should do? Love says you send Jesus in our place. To, to pay a penalty we can't pay. God, it would, be, it would be a tragedy for somebody to walk out and not even understand what that means or surrender to it. God, I pray that you work and move in the hearts of people right now, that people will, if they need prayer, they'll come for it. If they need to talk, they'll talk. Man, if they want a hug, we'll hug. We'll do whatever it takes to lead people to you and their God-given purpose. God, people have a purpose. And I think you're looking at the world and you're thinking, gosh, I've created you for so much more, so much more. I love you so much. I have such great plans for you. There's such hope for you. And, and God, have your way today. I thank you for everybody here. Bless them in such a supernatural way that they know it's nothing I'm saying. It's, it's you. It is the king doing his work in his beautiful church that is yet so broken. Father, we love you. We thank you. See, we're believing in something, and we're never going to stop declaring it, God, that you are God, you are good. We will glorify you every chance we get. And we'll never stop saying this, that in you, Father, the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody says, amen.